House of Tales by Oka. We're on a journey of discovery to meet inspirational guests, hear tales of their unique relationship with the home, and explore the role home plays in our love affair with living well. Home is where my family is, I think. You know, I could feel at home anywhere if I'm like surrounded by my husband and my kids, preferably a cat or two and ginger. This home is just filled chock-a-block with memories, you know, where you have memories and history and layers of people who've been in your lives. The reason why people hold on to things is because they don't want to lose memories. And so this house just has years and years and years of, of memories of things that I brought from New York and things that were here when I moved here and things that my husband's family and friends have added to the house. So it's a really deeply personal kind of patchwork of our life. That's Amanda Cutter Brooks, former New York socialite and fashion director turned author and retail store owner. She escaped the daily grind and chaos of Manhattan to live a more peaceful life in the English countryside. Curious about what else life had to offer after 20 plus years in the fashion industry and living her whole life in New York State, Amanda took a one-year creative sabbatical in 2012 on the Cotswold farm where her husband, the artist Christopher Brooks, grew up. It turned into a permanent stay. These days, Amanda ventures from the farm occasionally for assignments as a contributing editor for the US edition of Condé Nast Traveller. But her time is mainly spent in and around her secluded 19th century stone cottage, where she finds joy in simplified responsibilities, family and nature. So sit back, relax, and feel perfectly at home with our guest, Amanda Cutter-Brooks. This is the House of Tales podcast presented by Oka, with me, design journalist Bethan Ryder. Couldn't be a nicer day to be in the Cotswolds. Hi, Hello, Bethan. Amanda. How are you? Beautiful place to be. Oh, thank you. Especially the... when the sun is shining. Yeah, and the buzzards circling, and we even heard an owl. Oh, now. wow. So, yeah. Um, there's a snowy barn owl oh. that lives in the field, but usually he comes out in the afternoon. And this is so lovely and cozy. Yeah. Gorgeous. So, come through this way. I thought we'd sit in the other sitting room where it's quieter. So, um, Amanda, it's so nice to be here today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you um, for I just had a lovely look around your store, Cutter Brooks. Yes. I've got that right, haven't I? Yeah. Yes. Cutter Brooks, <laughs> uh, which is a beautiful and a bit like a TARDIS because I thought, well, that's not very big. And then you go in and, and you walk through. It's got this beautiful de Gournay wallpaper. Yeah. You walk through, there's a actually a bedroom set up so it feels like a home. And then you've got this beautiful creation of, of clothing. The shop is really unique around here. There's not a lot of competition at that price point or with those brands. And girls come in every single week to see what's arrived, buy something to wear to the pub, buy something to wear to dinner party, buy something to wear yeah. for holiday. Yeah. So, and, you know, it's a unique curation as well because in London, I think most people are buying for London life and I really buy for country life. So if you have a life out here or anywhere in the world, you know, mm. countryside, I'm really buying for that 
that's interesting is that that's really taken off that kind of it's got a name it's called cottage core it's it's actually living and, and wearing outfits like that the cottage and, and the country life has really come to town now it's mm. like have you noticed that in terms of how popular I have. these things are even though Cutter Brooks has a very defined style, I feel like for me to stay engaged, I always have to be evolving. So yeah. the whole kind of, you know, early 80s, the way I relate to English style is very much through the house that I grew up in. My mother was an interior designer. I grew up in a very beautifully decorated house with lots of florals and gents and beautifully set tables and beautifully made beds and beautiful fabrics and textiles and pieces of furniture and art and quilts and all these things. So, um, you know, when I moved into this house, my reference of relatability was the house that I grew up in. And, you know, that just also at the same time happened to kind of come into fashion, mm. Laura Ashley, yeah. um, William Morris, you know, all this very Englishy things. So, you know, I'm, I'm ready to evolve now. I, I think I'll always stay country inspired, but I definitely feel myself on the move. Where was the home that you just talked about? Was it in New York? It was York? in Westchester, outside oh, yeah. of New York City. Yeah, upstate yeah. and more. Yeah, a town called Bronxville. So... Were you conscious of that when you were growing up, that things were beautiful? Did you sort of know that your mum had the edge, if you like, on if you went to other friends' houses? You're like, I mean, my mom was a real fashion plate when I was growing up. So she had a lot of attention. You know, she was a Sunday school teacher at my church, but she would wear a liar to teach Sunday school. Wow, that's brilliant. <laughs> and my mom was this incredible combination of like a very, very loyal and dedicated mother. She was a great mom. And really hard worker. She was drove into city every single day to go to her office. She was the boss. She had employees. She had clients. So I was very much inspired by her work ethic and her ability to balance being a mother and and also have a career. She was really into cooking. So she had in you know the weekend she was gardening. So she had a real domestic life. But yes, our house was you know I was I was very aware that my mom kind of stood out. Yeah, I was very aware of that. Yeah. I was at boarding school, and then I went to university at Brown in Providence, Rhode Island. Yeah. And then I moved straight to New York from there. And I was ambivalent about moving to New York. My parents had lived in Westchester. And during my last few years of college, they moved into the city. Mm. And when I arrived in the city, I kind of felt like, okay, I've spent here for three or four days, like ready to go home now. And, you know, the relentless pace took adjusting yeah. to. And I wasn't sure about it. <clears throat> yeah, I had a little studio a tiny, tiny bedroom, tiny one-bedroom apartment in the West Village. But I met my husband. Right. I met Christopher. He's my first boyfriend out of college. I was 22 when we met. Yeah. So I felt stuck there because he was English, but he's like, no, 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 I'm never leaving New York. We're definitely not going to move to England ever. I'm staying in New York. So I felt like, oh, God, I better get used to city life. It was just the quality of life. There's nothing you can complain about. I had the most magical New York years. I left no stone unturned. We did every single thing we wanted to do. We kind of looked at each other after 15 years of really doing everything. Yeah. And, you know, I was in the art world and he was in the art world and then I moved into the fashion world and we just had amazing friends. We had a great life. Mm. We lived in a totally classic Lower East Side loft yeah. Yeah. Um, that we renovated ourselves and it, we still have it. still feels very young because we did it when I was in my 20s. So right. my kids really love it now. So describe it a little we, bit. What oh, was well, it? I was six months pregnant when we took possession of it and there was a sewing factory and they moved out. And so mm. we very luckily got to take over that space. It's a large yeah. loft um, on Christie Street. And 
we were going to eventually maybe move to the flat upstairs because we wanted the taller ceilings. Right. So we just like threw in a Home Depot kitchen, you know, kind of did it up in a very kind of young, rudimentary, shit, we're pregnant kind yeah. of way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we never changed anything. Like the oh. minute our kids were born, it was like chaos and mayhem and trying to get a place to go on the weekend. And so it still has that feeling, <laughs> which, you know, I've been tempted so many times to do it up. My kids absolutely love it. It has a raw feeling. (laughs) It just has a very bohemian, artisty, young, authentic feeling to it. Amanda met her now husband, Christopher, while working in fashion in New York. And then in 2012, decided as a family to swap the chaos of city living for life in the English countryside. But what prompted her to choose the Cotswolds? Well, part of it was our relationship with here, with the farm. Christopher was born here. And, you know, two weeks after I met him, we came here. And I found it quite intimidating. We were living in Christopher's grandparents' house, which his sister lives in now. But um, I was 22. I couldn't drive on the other side of the road. I didn't drive stick shift. I came here for holiday, and Christopher was, like, on a tractor all day. And I was like, (laughs) what am I doing here? So I was like, oh, I'll have a really nice bath and give myself a manicure and a pedicure. And then I was like, okay, I'll cook a really nice meal. And then, like, day three... I was like, what do I do now? Yeah. <laughs> so I was kind of freaked out. I was like, I don't want to spend my holiday there every summer. But then we had kids, and it just was heaven on earth. For I mean, my daughter, who's our first, firstborn, was just immediately obsessed with horses when she was like nine months old. And then I just realized when I was here, we had just had such an incredible quality of life. Mm. So I started noticing like this great disparity between our life here and our life in New York. Mm-hmm. You know, my parents spent summers in upstate New York. I'd grown up in Westchester. I now lived in the city. I'd spent my whole life in one state yeah. apart from schooling. Yeah. And I just felt like I was, I just started really feeling strongly about a, a next chapter. Um, and we we looked in LA because I was I was the fashion director at William Morris Endeavor mm-hmm. Agency, and I was in LA like a week a month. So we we took a trip out together to look at houses, and we had this very specific house in mind, which was like the house in that movie Laurel Canyon with Francis McDormand. And we we really had this like flat roof, seventies kind of mid century, you know, like a case study house or something. Yeah, yeah. And we couldn't find one, so we just. I was at Barney's. I was traveling like five months a year. I felt very burned out by um, the constant, you know, four seasons of yeah, fashion shows. And then it went to six. I mean, there's so yeah. much going on. With I know. Then, yeah. you know, and then when I wasn't going to Europe for shows, I was traveling around the country going to do trend presentations at Barney's. You know, right. Barney's in Scottsdale, yeah. Barney's in Las Vegas, Barney's in L.A., Barney's in Chicago. Yeah. When I decided that I was going to leave Barney's, I really wanted a year off on the farm. I just thought, let's just go there and regroup and really let me just have some time to think about. I, I felt like my fashion career had, had gone on a trajectory that was complete. Yeah. Um, and when I accepted the Barney's job, I felt like, okay, I'll stay here for five years mm-hmm. and then I'll retire from fashion and figure out the next phase of life. And I did that after a year. I think I was done before I went to Barney's, to okay. be totally honest. And it was just, you know, I'd started my own company I had my own office. It was in the building where I lived. My life worked for me so well with two kids and a husband. Mm-hmm. You know, I was able to balance and manage everything. And then going back into a very corporate atmosphere mm-hmm. with a lot of travel, it kind of accelerated that by jumping back into like a very corporate well, job without a lot of flexibility. Well, let's talk about this house. This was a cart shed. I was going to say, did for it need a lot of work? Hay ricks. This <laughs> yeah. is the farmyard for the whole farm. So this right. was where 
all the farmers um, kind of congregated and the hay was, you know, moved around the farm in these hay ricks, which are kind of like wagons. Mm -hmm. And they were stored, the the arched windows were where the hay ricks drove in. So there's four of them. So there would have been, and then this was, this room and the room upstairs was, um, and we'll just say for the listeners because they can't see it. Yeah, yeah. It's quite a small room and there's one bedroom upstairs and this is the fireplace and the pig man raised eight children in this these two rooms, this cottage. Oh, my goodness. So there were two. And yeah. then my husband um, built 30 years ago the other half into a cottage. But there was still a tenant, no longer the pig man, but there was still a tenant living in this side. And then when they moved out, they knocked the whole thing together. But he designed every element of the house. and Because it still feels... the windows himself. And the windows are the most beautiful part yeah, of the house. And beautiful. he drew those windows himself. He just He has a real talent for space, architecture. Because and then quite, I do all the decoration. <laughs> and quite a lot of English houses and cottages and farm houses tend to feel very dark. But the beautiful thing about this is you, because of those windows and everything, yeah. you've got the light, this yeah. great light. Mm. He gets totally claustrophobic. He can't yeah. live places without light. He can't work anywhere in, other than, like, he would never work at that desk because it's not in front of a window. Yeah. So he's very specific about it. Do you have favourite seasons here? Do you find the post-Christmas gloom particularly depressing or do you go off skiing I'm cool or something? I'm January. Like January is hibernation. Yeah. So it's always a quiet month. We don't socialise a lot. We really get into like TV show and mm. I cook manically in January. And it's just a really lovely hibernating month. But then after that, like February, March, like my ideal world would be not to be here in February, March. I don't like waking up in the dark. I find that yeah. really tough. I mean, fireplaces are key. Mm, definitely. And I hate to say that because not everyone has a fireplace. But if I didn't have a fireplace in the countryside, you know, most houses have fireplaces. But if you don't have a fireplace, I would definitely have like a light box or something because the fireplace, the warmth, the light, the, yeah. you know, the, the ambiance, it, it really makes you happy to be inside. Definitely. Should we move to the kitchen? Go and explore yeah. and have a little look around. Right, let's do that. Okay. I love all these botanicals you've got, the pictures, the oh, fruits thanks. and everything. Yeah, I got those in Paris. Those were like They're 18th beautiful. century. Like 1785 really or something crazy. And you're just so good with fabrics. I love all the curtains matching this lovely chair. Oh, thank you. Do you have favourite fabric suppliers that you kind of... Yeah, I mean, my mother, being an interior designer, like, the best lesson she taught me was, like, not all the fabrics should be identifiable. Her number one rule for me is, like, you don't want to walk in a room and be able to identify every fabric. You definitely want things that are like, ooh, what's that? Where's that from? Be like, oh, that's, you know, vintage, or that's from the 60s, or that's African, or that's Italian, or... I guess that helps when if you travel a lot, because then you get to see things that no one else can get. Well, and it's just when you're in, like, a vintage store... And you see, like, a pile of fabrics. You know, most people are like, well, what would I do with this? I'm like, oh, I'll cover a footstool or I'll make a cushion. Like, that's your opportunity to find something that's... I love your birds, by the way. Oh, thank you. We got those in um, Hayon Y. Oh, so it's like a little mise-en-scene of lots of taxidermy and some squirrels. Yeah, and my daughter is very offended by that. And then the amazing boot room, which I think is pretty incredible. Oh, good. There's an awful lot of boots. I'm presuming yeah. are these all your... They're all my husband's, he just all of them. I think a... I have one pair of wellies in there. <laughs> my like... daughter lives in a stable, so she has nothing in this house. And my son's at boarding school, so he's got like one or two pairs of shoes. But And I see what you mean about all the different coats. This is like... his, and this is mine. I mean, there's maybe, look, that's my, that's my <laughs> coat there, but this is mine. And this is my son's, and that's my daughter's, and that's my husband's. So it's for particular things like a pruning coat, a yeah, tractor yeah, yeah, coat. Yeah. <laughs> every chore and every, every weather 
conditions. It's not just Amanda's fashion or interior style that has been influenced by living in the English countryside. Since moving to the farm, the kitchen, which overlooks the prettiest little garden you can imagine, has also become her escape. It's a place that, outside of her busy life, she finds the time to indulge in her love of cooking. She has even learned how to make jam. So this is this is really lovely light. So these are the amazing windows. Yeah, I mean we kitchen. live in this room. We really do. And so you can look out here on your garden. And what's at the end? Is that a... that's a potting shed? Oh, a yeah. proper official potting yeah, shed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, big... everybody who comes to stay here says, "Can I just have my guest room there? This is a fireplace in there." Right. And there's actually some plumbing because it used to be where all the farmers would have their tea and sandwich. Okay. So there's a fireplace and there was a, a sink. So there's plumbing, so you could put a little bathroom on that left side. Yeah. And, you know, just like a beautiful king-size bed in front of the fireplace. But my husband thinks it's really obnoxious to, like, gentrify every building in the farmyard. <laughs> but I did clean it out last year. It, I mean, it was kind of like 40 years of wow. man gardening stuff. Not woman gardening <laughs> stuff. Man gardening stuff. Like, strimming motors that had rotted and rusted. And, you know, it was just like, I, I got a dumpster and I spent you couldn't, a day a, and a half. So it's actually right. really lovely in there. Like, the fireplace is so beautiful and there's just beautiful terracotta stone Ooh. tiles on the floor and um, old, very old wooden shelves that all the pots are on. So, And we're actually... Eventually, we're gonna we're gonna knock through the other side and put a big kitchen garden behind it um, with a gar with a greenhouse on the back of that. I was gonna ask if you had a kitchen garden because it seems we don't have a kitchen garden. Like you because, should, Amanda. I know, but um, my brother in law and my sister in law both have giant kitchen gardens oh, on the okay. farm, and they travel a lot in the summer. So you can just nip up there so and steal some. Lettuces if it wasn't or... for us, a lot of their things wouldn't get eaten because they travel yeah. a lot. We're yeah. we're here the most of anybody, so it just seems kind of silly, but. It's my 50th birthday in two years, and I said to my husband, I just would like a small kitchen garden. We don't need a big one like they have, but yeah. just like a small. You can grow whatever they don't grow. Yeah. I'm good at maintenance, but like I wouldn't know how to plant a kitchen garden. He would, but he doesn't have the patience to do it. So I said, for my 50th birthday present, I would really love to have like someone start a kitchen garden and put a greenhouse in. and then Living in England has really opened my eyes to the seasons. You know, in New York, you can just get anything anytime. Mm. You're really not aware, you know, of when asparagus are in season or when strawberries are in season. You can get strawberries in November. Yeah. And here, someone the other day asked me about strawberries. I was like, it's not strawberry season. Like, you would never <laughs> buy strawberries out of season. Like, so, yes, it's very, very seasonal. And you make your own jams and everything. Are you I make one <laughs> jam batch a year, which is chili and red pepper jam, which is kind of that sweet and good. sour. So good. And I give it for Christmas presents. But that's, I used to preserve everything all the time. Everything all the time. My five year hiatus before, in between Barney's and Cutter Brooks, I got very into preserving. Um, and it feels like a crime now to kind of let the season pass and not, mm. I'll still like roast the quince. And we now take all our apples and pears off to a place where everybody around here does. Everybody drives 45 minutes and they bottle your pears and apples really beautifully and Christopher drew a label for it and we oh, always lovely. give it a gift when we go to someone's house for dinner give them yeah. our apple juice so we've mostly cooking apples so it's quite tart so we mm. mix some pears in with it because we have a lot of pears in the mm. farmyard so we use those everyone talks about the kind of cocktails and the Chipping Norton set and things like that yeah. do you have a lot of dinner parties is there a quite a tight social scene if you like it's evolving I mean when I I've been here 25 years there was nobody here 
I have one, I had one friend who's still my friend, and there was one pub, which is still a great pub. I think my husband and I are very lucky that his brother and his sister are both very social, mm. and they live in much bigger houses than we do, and they entertain a lot. So I feel incredibly lucky that we can kind of dip in and out of that as family. And I have lovely friends here. I just, I work all the time when I'm here because I started my company here. So it came, it, it, it transferred from a place where I was always on holiday to a place where I'm always working. Yeah, it's um, and so when I go to Paris for a buying trip or New York, I really have lots of great old friends that I see and I do a lot of my socializing there. Right. It's important for me to travel yeah. after COVID. I really felt that the shop needed fresh inspiration. I've kind of ridden the wave of where I was at when we went into lockdown mm. and then got stuck here. Mm, well, and now cool. I've been to LA, Seattle, New York, Copenhagen, Paris, all since Christmas. Um, so I'm, I'm on the lookout for, you know, the new inspiration. You know, you're very much in the country, but then this feels like a bit of urban New York. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you're both your worlds. Yep. Also upstairs, there's all this like really wonderful 80s wallpaper from Laura Ashley. It would just be horrible to get rid of that. Inside Amanda's living room, its cottagey features and proportions provide a warm and cosy feeling. It's the perfect place to escape to enjoy relaxation and quiet in the evenings. Her artworks, plants and collectibles that fill the space are less about decoration and more about creating a visible reminder of where she has been and her and her family's life's journey. From vintage books to cherished objects, there are all sorts of curiosities to uncover. So when do you spend time in here evenings? Is this your evening room? Yeah, there's no TV in here. She's really lovely. Yeah, there's no TV. The TV room is the room we were sitting in before. And which is nice because it keeps the kids out of here because there's no TV. <laughs> so it's, I work a lot in here in the afternoon. If I need to get a lot of stuff done, I'll just kind of plant myself here. Mm. Um, or when we have friends to stay, we hang out in here. Um, so you've got some lovely... What I don't do yeah. in here, which is what you think, like on the weekends, you think I'd like settle in and read the paper by the fire. I just don't ever do that. I never have time. I know. Or I'll lie down in my bedroom and read a book or something. I love the reclaimed wood at the bottom. So you've got these two So that's from a pier. That's from Brighton Pier. My husband is obsessed with reclaimed wood. That entire giant barn next to our house is filled with reclaimed wood. Um, And that was Brighton Pier that he bought the wood, left out, it it burned down. This is the the wood from the burned down Brighton Pier. So he finds lots of wood that are interesting to him and he puts it in the barn. And then when we need wood for something, he pulls it out. So lots of lovely books. And then you've got, um, I love what you've done here with it's like a little bit outside coming in around the fireplace. Yeah. Yep. Um, and Jess Wheeler, who does sconces for our shop, she made me that, that those brass um, ivy leaves at the top. Oh, yeah. She the made me those for Christmas. I mean, they're incredible. They're so beautiful. And where they're do like you the find thinnest, thinnest brass. these pressed herbariums? Yep. Yeah. I, I'm like a really fanatic collector of herbarium specimen. I'm really particular about them. I think those are Swedish. Yeah, I've got some French ones and some Swedish ones, but they, they vary from like 1880 to 1930. And where's this lovely table from, which is just like... We a, made that. So Christopher oh. found this piece of wood on eBay. I said, I'd love a, a kind of like really rustic wood table behind the sofa. And I was into these 50s pen legs at that moment. Mm. So I found the pen legs and he found the piece of wood. It's a perfect and, uh, height with the sofa. Yeah, so well and so we just made it. And can I ask about 
Yes, that's Sailor's mane and tail. Sailor was one of our most iconic ponies that Coco learned to ride on, and every single child within a mile of here learned to ride on this one pony. But he was last with us, and he retired with us, so we had him for about 20 years. He had a stroke, and um, my daughter said, will you take a piece of his mane and tail for me? So I took it, and I tied it with a ribbon, and it sat there ever since. And then we lost another horse this year, and we did the same thing. Like, we, I don't know, it's just kind of a nice... tradition. It's really lovely. Yeah. What are these beautiful maps? These are old hunting maps. So you used to hack to the meat. Yeah. Um, the Heathrop Hunt. Heathrop. 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 And what's yeah, that and that's that the one? Cotswold, I think. The Cotswold yeah. Hunt. Those are my grandmother. Actually, they were my, my husband's great aunt's books. And that they, they would show you how to get home or how to get to where you were going. If they say, oh, the, heat, the, the meat's mm. in Eiford, you would hack to the meat. So that shows you how to get there. They're beautiful. But they're just kind of old relics. Oh, really beautiful. And these are all people. Well, this is, first of all, this is our trophy uh, because we walk puppies for the Heathrow Punt. And okay. so, uh, and then you put them in the puppy show and we won the best bitch oh, in 2018. Brilliant. <laughs> and the trophy says best bitch. Have you seen the film so Best in Show? Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not so dissimilar, actually. And these are all pieces of china that we've dug up from the garden, and these are two horseshoes oh, that my husband has found in the garden from over the years. So they're just all little garden relics. So this is like a whole... These are all geraniums in the I'm obsessed window. with pelagonium. This is a weird in-between part of the season where these are the ones that have kind of thrived from last year. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch outside on the lawn, I think, that we took out, yeah, that may or may not come back, but I'm particularly good at killing pelagonium. Oh. And it's, they're like your babies. You have to, I, I'm very good at looking after them in the season, and I haven't mastered looking after them in the winter. But some of them always just miraculously thrive, and other ones you can see outside are completely bare. You know some been, of those will come back, but you just, really? I just don't know. Yeah, <laughs> You've never been tempted to try um, orchids then, because those are meant to be equally It's not my aesthetic. Tricky. No, I style. love pelagonium. There's the most incredible pelagonium nursery near here called Fibrex. Right. And, I mean, I just love the way they smell. I love the way they grow. I choose them when they're in bloom so I can see the color of the flower that's going to emerge. Mm-hmm. And then I feed them with tomato fertilizer during the growing season so they flower even more. Mm. Um, I mean, just here, rub, rub that, okay. and then smell your. I mean, it's just incredible. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, gorgeous. Rub it. Like lemony. Yeah, this is a different one. They all have different smells. Yeah, you might Some have smell like. Me. They're like velvet, aren't they? Yeah. They are, every plant has a different smell. Oh, that's lovely. That, that one's the same as this one. I didn't realize the kind of variation. lemony. Some smell like Coca Cola. Really? Some smell like bubble gum. Wow. They all have these amazing different scents, but. They're called scented pelagonium. Mm, they're gorgeous. And they're, they're tricky to look after. They're very Clearly. fickle. <laughs> so if you can get them through the winter, it's, a, it's an achievement. And who plays backgammon? Is that? That's my backgammon table. I'm obsessed with backgammon. And this was in my parents' house, which we sold about 10 years ago. And that was the only thing I wanted from the house. It looks much loved and used. Yeah. Was there anything else that you kind of brought over? Uh, there's a view of the Adirondacks above my bed. It's a lithograph. And the Adirondacks is where I spent every summer since I was five. And it's just like my favorite place in the world. So it's yeah. nice to lie in bed and have a view of the mountains. Yeah. Do you think you'll go back one day? To the Adirondacks? Or to the oh, U.S.? To, um, to like... You know, we actually, uh, we just kind of surrendered that our apartment that we lived in all those years is going to be rented all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's too big to have it as like a kind of occasional apartment. So um, we've taken over a much smaller apartment across the hall. 
And we're doing that up now. Right. Uh, so it'll be like, instead of being my 20s style, it'll be my 40s style. <laughs> and age-wise, not yeah, yeah. wise And um, my daughter's at university in America, so okay. maybe that will inspire us to go a bit more. But I, I certainly don't see us moving back, no. 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 Here's home. Do you miss anything about New, New York? York? I mean, obviously- I just, I feel so happy when I'm there. I feel very nostalgic. I love SoulCycle. <laughs> Oh, yeah, okay. I miss people so pathetic, but every time they say, what do you miss about New York? I'm like, definitely soul cycle. There's just, it just like is so the New York energy. There's like psychotic people at six in the morning in a dark room. Don't they play music? Sweating. Like and you feel like you've of, gone clubbing. Yeah. It's the most like energetic. I mean, these days I'm very much into Pilates and being, trying to calm myself down instead of revving myself up. But soul cycle, I mean, people, since I left New York 10 years ago, people do like three classes in a row now and they do it the double beat and... I mean, it's, oh it's gone gosh. to a level that almost doesn't include me anymore, but I still enjoy it. <laughs> no, I think, you know, you feel like your whole life is in New York. You feel like it's the mm. center of the universe. You feel like if you left New York, you would disappear off the face of the earth. And you realize that's not true. Mm-hmm. And so now I feel like I could live anywhere. But I don't think I'd go back to New York. I feel like I really did New York in yeah. its heyday. And yeah. I, I squeezed every bit of joy and life out of it. And Mm. I'm very happy when I'm there. So now that you're sort of here, which is where you used to come for holidays, it's almost like your escape's become your home. Where is your, where's your escape now? (laughs) Um, I think my escape is definitely the Adirondacks. It always will be. There's no way to work from there. I would definitely never live there. You would not want to be there. Uh, more than like four months of the year. It's it's up near Canada. It's it's a harsh environment to live in. It's great in the summer. It's great in the winter. But it's very cold in the winter. But there's a lot of snow, which is great. Right. So yeah, that's kind of where I feel free. I mean, sometimes I feel slightly sad that I've turned this place into the place where I'm buzzing all the time, and mm. I've got my inbox and my bills and my admin and all that kind of stuff. But that that exists here, whether I have a business here or not. You know, yeah, it's yeah. just like wherever you live is where you've got a mountain of paperwork to go through. <laughs> But New York is no longer that. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think I enjoy New York so much more now. Like, I, I enjoy New York more than I've ever enjoyed it in my whole life. Well, thank you so much for showing us around the patchwork. It's been um, really a pleasure uh, to meet you here. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this episode two of the House of Tales podcast by Oka. In episode three, we travel to New York to explore tales of living. I sit down with famed American fashion designer Adam Lippis as he shares his tales of the homes that shaped him, how fashion icon Oscar de la Renta influenced his approach to interior style and the role that home plays in living well. Join us for the next Oka House of Tales podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen. This episode was hosted by myself, Betham Ryder. Recording, production and audio post was by Talori, with executive producers Mike Raczynski and Mark Baker. Music direction was by Andy Guthrie.